Week one is in the books. Great start. I'm Rusty, joined by Sean. Eastern Washington uh, put up a huge fight. Your initial reaction? My initial reaction is I'm I'm surprised that it stayed as mildly interesting for as long as it did. Um, the Ducks, for the most part, they, they get like a there's always a comfortable game, like a comfortable lead, but yeah. I always, I always, I kept just catching myself thinking like, God, they like, this is closer than it should be. And then I'd look at the scoreboard and we were up by like two or three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. But I think I just was, for whatever reason, mentally preparing for like, you know, a 62 to 10 game or some, you know, some absurd blowout. Um, am I surprised that Cooper Cup lit us up and literally set single game Watson Stadium records for catches and receiving yards? No, he is a very talented wide receiver. But um, yeah, forty was it forty two points they scored? It was a lot. I think it was forty one. I'm not sure. Yeah. It was in that range. And, yeah, the score uh, isn't nearly like I, as important in this game. Right. I I think I think John Neal had a good point when he said that you know maybe being exposed like that in week one, kind of before the season really starts, uh-huh. wasn't the worst thing in the world. You know, it it gives him a chance to really kind of go back in and figure out what went wrong and give him a chance to clean up things before Michigan State or, you know, any of the big conference games. So I'm, if it's, if it's for the good of the season and if it means that the secondary is going to sharpen things up a bit, mm-hmm. I will gladly give up 40-plus points to Eastern Washington. Yeah, I think that's a great point that you bring up with what uh, Neil said, or Coach Neil said, where it's, it's like in uh, Ocean's Eleven, where uh, they accidentally mess up the, they accidentally set something off early. No, Ocean's Thirteen, when they have the drill, mm-hmm. but something goes wrong with it, and the casino is able to figure out how to stop that problem happening in the future, mm-hmm. therefore like mm-hmm. ruining the plan. We figured out, like, that first thing that can go wrong. Uh, so I think in a lot of ways, too, yeah, it was 61-42. Um, I think – because I was, I, was, I was rash – I was trying to figure out, like, what exactly – how to exactly think about this. Because I don't – I hate it when people are like uh, – when people are like, oh, it was, a, it was a blend of both. It's like, get off the fence. Of course it's a blend of both. But one is a bigger contributor than the other. I think – we vastly underestimated how good Eastern Washington is. Um, I fully believe that. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we came I mean, in here and did that last week on the podcast. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think my prediction last week was that it was just going to be a total blowout, and it it I mean it was it was a shootout, but it wasn't. I mean, look at I mean, look at this. I'm looking at the the quarter by quarter breakdown here. Mm-hmm. So, Oregon led twenty to seven after one. 
But look at the rest of the game. 17-14 Oregon, 17-14 Oregon, 7-7 fourth quarter. See, we won every quarter. What are we complaining about? Right? Win the, <laughs> you win the game. Yeah. Um, you play to win the game. But, uh, yeah, they, uh, they, they went down swinging. I think they should be proud of their effort. Um, oh, my God. My... I, I've never, I've never seen. Well, I shouldn't say I've never seen fans so livid about Oregon's defense because I feel like they always are. Um, but oh man, the comments after the game of the secondary were just, on addicted to quack or anywhere. On the on the addicted to quack Twitter sphere. Oh, oh man, we had all the all the hot takes from from our fans. <laughs> What uh, how what were the percentage of Pelham should be fired? You know, surprisingly, there were only a few sprinkled in there. It wasn't a uh, we weren't going full torches and pitchforks just yet, but they were in there. Um, I think one person said that the biggest problem was his um, it it the game exposed his inability to coach players is what I believe someone said. Which is a coordinator's job. Yes. Okay. You, your job is literally to coordinate the defense. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what the position coaches are supposed to do, is to coach players. Yeah. Um, so that was... I'm trying, to, I'm trying to scroll through some of our post-game comments here and see uh, see if I could find... Oh, yeah. Here we go. Um, says, I think it has more to do with... Because um, I, I was tweeting some thoughts after the game, and I said, it's better to get exposed early in the year. Gives Neil time to work with his guys on what went wrong and how to clean it up. And comment back says yeah that was brutal but I think it has more to do with Pelham's inability to coach than it had to do with the players um no gonna disagree with that one there's that's the short answer to a like two hour long answer that explains first and foremost how people coach and how defenses work yeah um so i mean i rewatched this i've watched it twice i've watched it twice now on film because i watched it live the first time um and one of the things that i was not able to see at first um that one of my friends who really knows this stuff saw um while on tv was is that in actuality a lot of the problems came from, um, let's, uh, it's, it's, uh, there was one glaring weakness, and, uh, that was a, the most notable weakness was a single linebacker. So, before, before we go into this, I respect what every player does. They're all great people. Yes, I do feel uncomfortable critiquing a, Someone who is, I don't care if they're getting, going to school for free because most schools actually don't give a shit if they go to school. 
Um, so they're playing for free. Um, so I get that, but you know, that's this is why we're here to talk about this stuff. Um, so Hardrick was uh, was not uh, did not have a great performance. He was a liability throughout the entire game. Um, like at times, like all like all fall camp, uh, he was getting so much praise for like knowing the offense and everything. Like his body language after every play was just one of being lost. Like I've never seen anyone look like so so like just lost on defense. Yeah, like um, if you look at like a lot of the passes. Sorry to cut you off, but like if you look at a lot of the passes that went like fifteen yards deep, the under guy was Hardrick. Like if someone ran an out, like the guy who got broken off was Hardrick. Like the guy who took poor tackle or who put took poor angles and made bad tackles was Hardrick. Like poor angles and tackles and poor tackling was something that was a constant throughout. Uh, which A is fixable, but B not in a week when those are like fundamentals. Um, right, exactly. I mean Reggie Daniels, uh, number eight, or is that Tyree Robinson? Uh, uh, I did not brush up on my numerical roster. Isn't that bizarre that we have to like say, oh, number eight on Oregon? Who is that these days? Reggie Daniels. Uh, Reggie Daniels did also not have a great day in pass coverage. Yeah, if any of you guys read um, read our, the X's and O's today by Ryan Dosen, he he kind of touched on that um, what you were just mentioning a second ago the the bad pursuit angle taken by Hardrick. Um, yeah, and that was like one point that he made, but it's really astounding. Like when you watch cut up, cut up, cut up of everything, it's mm-hmm. like wow, this was not a great day and I think he had the same problem last year when we started off the year yeah I think this exact same thing happened and so I mean it really comes down to where a lot of people say like like when you read like Chris Brown's articles and stuff you're like oh this defense makes so much sense why doesn't everybody do it or like or stuff like that where coach is like oh we want to do this and have this and this and this happens like okay this all sounds great on paper and then executing it is a totally different thing right like Everything works. Like every play is designed to go for a touchdown, right? Like every defense is supposed to like force an incompletion or like have a sack or whatever. But it all is down to execution, which is why the simplest like offenses and defenses now are now working the best. Exactly. It's. Um, I mean, yeah. In theory, that's all how it's supposed to work. But when it all comes together on the field, it's usually not quite as smooth. Right, yeah. So, I mean, a huge plus is there were no blown coverages. There were no... That's important. No one was, like, no receivers were wide open, stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So that's solid. I mean, it's just been, it's been, it was an, it was a exemplary scenario of what happens when you have inexperienced players going against experienced players. Like right. uh, Cooper Cup. Like we okay, like granted we couldn't find like anything on Eastern Washington, really. But when the T V broadcasters uh uh 
But the TV broadcasters found out a lot more about them than we could, also partially because mm-hmm. that's their job. Uh, and after going over his his uh, over his like lengthy, impressive resume, he isn't. He's a guy whose size was formidable. Like he's a big wide receiver. He's got the athletic skills that, um, even if he, even if our players were like way experienced, that would still be a challenge. Um, but it's the experience. You can tell that there's the experience that he had, uh, the experience he had over the Oregon defensive backs was so wide. Like, yeah. And it's, I mean, when you, you know, if you, if you had not watched this game period and you just went to the box court. You see that, you know, you see 42 points from Eastern Washington, and you're just like, oh, that, that's kind of higher than expected. What happened? Shuffling through, shuffling through. Okay, West had a pretty good day. Almost 300 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. Not even a full game. He got hurt and had to be replaced. But you're scrolling through. Okay, they didn't do anything on the ground. And then, holy shit, you get to Cooper Cup. Yeah. 15 catches, 246 yards, three touchdowns including a 73-yard catch. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's the real deal, and I think his professional future just got a lot brighter because, you know, doing this against... Yeah, it may be, you, you know, if you're trying to play devil's advocate or whatever, you could say, okay, he did it against a young, inexperienced secondary that he could just pick apart and eat alive. But having, like, you come in as an FCS opponent and you come into Oregon and you set the stadium single game record for catches and yards in a game. Yeah. And, yeah, that was, I knew he was going to have a big game. I just couldn't fathom it was going to be that big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, mean... And, uh, two, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I I was going to try and make a point, but I realized that the numbers wouldn't add up right with West and Hennessy splitting, splitting the passing duties. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, as a team, 438 yards through the air versus 111 yards on the ground. And that's basically, like, this is kind of just an example of like what we were we've been talking about, like what might be Oregon defense this year, is that they're going to give up an insane amount of yards through the air just because of that young, inexperienced secondary. Yeah, and then they're just going to shut teams down on the ground. So if you're if your team is relying on a rushing attack. Like you're gonna have to make some adjustments if you want to hang with Oregon. Yeah, because I, I forget who was making the point. Um, it's one of the ESPN personalities, I think, but they said that like Oregon doesn't need to be that good on defense this year because they just have the weapons to just simply outscore everyone this year. I think that was uh, George Pollock. Yeah. Before the Ohio State game, uh, when, he, when he said, "When he gave us a big whoop," 
Yeah, exactly. Although and I would like to point out, sorry to interrupt you for the fifteenth time. I'd like to point out that uh, Desmond Howard said, "You know, defense is a reason why they got whooped against Auburn." You're excused. Whooped against Ohio State, fair. Whooped yeah. against Auburn, the, the one of the best offenses in college football history when we held them to 19 points for uh, 59 minutes and 59 seconds of college yeah, exactly. football. Getting owned? Are you? I was mad. And you know what? I really shoved it to him. I tweeted at him how mad I was. Oh, oh you showed him. Yeah. Yeah. I bet, you, I bet you he saw it and he cried to sleep that night. Yeah, that's why he didn't respond. He knew he was gotten. So, yeah, but... Oh, man. The thing... And I think that the... I think Chris Cisse did exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. He was fantastic. Uh, Arian Springs... He had- he had, Cissé had some big game experience from last year, too. So yeah, he killed it against Florida State, and he did really well against Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Um, Arian Springs had... Like, also, th- also remember this, too. Oregon's defense faces so many different plays. Mm-hmm. So many plays a game. So these yards and everything are going to happen. So yeah. Arian Springs had about three noticeable brain farts. But he played pretty solid the rest of the way. Like, he could have had a pick in the end zone if uh, Cup hadn't basically tackled him. And there was another, like, end zone bomb to Cup that he knocked down. There was just the one time he got beat deep. Uh, and then, like, two other deep passes. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, a lot of the a lot of the big passes were, like, like 15-yard out routes where, like, it, it was just so hard to guard, like... Eastern Washington did much better than I thought they would. Like, a lot yeah. of those passes were just legit. So, yeah. Is there room for improvement? Yes. But that was also a much, much better team than I think we all were expecting. Exactly. I think I think we didn't give them enough credit. Um, what are you doing they, right now? Oh, did that... I was killing a bug on my laptop. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Sa- sound must be sensitive. Um, yeah, they they held their own. Um, I was I was very impressed. I think it, at their level at the FCS, they are going to be a very very good team this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they'll be just fine with. Um, I mean, Cooper Cup is just going to put up ridiculous numbers, and. I, I think they'll do very well for their level. Oh yeah, I mean they were number six coming in. Um, like here's here's the thing too is like along with like uh, like the experience difference, just how uh, Cup was able to like set himself up. He just knows like all these nuances to like get open and make smaller plays, and it's like the inexperience where they like it's it's little things. It's not like. Uh, like they're totally outmatched athletically or they're not making plays or whatever. It's just they make... There's like all these small things that they don't do that add up, like not setting the edge, like not mm-hmm. forcing players back to the middle, um, not gang tackling. or like, It's just it's just all the small stuff that normally gets overlooked 
and it's really standard among players who have played for like one to two years but for people coming in it's just not second nature at that point it's like when uh how freshman running backs rarely play because uh they don't know pass protection and like d'anthony like Oh, like uh, a lot of freshman running backs, like Anthony Thomas, even like their first game, they don't protect the ball well because they're never used to getting tackled from behind. Right, exactly. And so it's just stuff like that. Uh, so, and a lot of times with like, no matter what level you're at, whether it's like high school or D3, D2, D1, FCS, FBS, if you're at like the top of your level, then you execute very well. Like, you may not have, like, obviously Eastern Washington does not have the talent top to bottom Oregon does. They don't have the, the, the same coaching. They don't have the athletes. Um, they don't have the resources. But they execute at a very high level. Because you have mm-hmm. to if you're going to be at the top of your, at the top of your, uh, at the top of your level. That's like the same thing that Appalachian State did against Michigan in 2007. Is that they right. just executed so well, and uh, like Eastern Washington came to play, but I think it was honestly it was the talent disparity that like brought about that win. So, I mean, that's really kind of what it came down to was just that our players were better than their players. Mm-hmm. So. Which is a little unsettling at times. Um, but should we talk about Vernon Adams real quick? We haven't even, talk- talk we haven't even talked about him yet. Um, he played exceptional. He was great. Yeah. I, he just he looked so comfortable from the get-go. Yeah. Like, he, he didn't look flustered at all. He's like, he, he was just like, guys, 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 I got this. Don't even worry mm-hmm. about it. Um, just, I mean, the, yeah, he, um, I, I was very, like, I knew he would do well. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really think, you know, oh, the, the big, you know, the big, big debut with Oregon that's all been hyped up against his forward team. I, I didn't think any of that would would get to him um but he he just everything looked so clean you know um and i think i'm, I'm trying to recall some of my I, I like that he i this this isn't even as much about burden adams but i i like the fact that his first touchdown pass as a duck was to Braylon Addison. Yeah. Oh my just, god! How just beautiful. Be, just because I missed Braylon Addison. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really I, I was happy to see that little connection. Um, but the play that I really liked was his his forty six yard bomb to Dwayne Stanford. Because and this is another thing that that Ryan Vernon Adams bomb. Right. This oh, is yeah, another thing that Ryan broke up in his X's and Notes article is that it's it's an example of him being the pocket quarterback and how he goes through every possible read uh-huh. and then he finds Stanford downfield. Um, so I, I really liked seeing, you know, seeing the deep bomb, but 
I just uh, he he moved the ball so effectively from and you know I mean I'll I'll always disclaim like I'm I'm never the best at like breaking I because I always breaking down games because I always have to go back and rewatch stuff because I just have like a very blurred memory of games uh-huh. so it's very hard to like pick out specific things but that's just kind of the general thing that I remember most like thinking to myself watching the game was just how clean and how efficient he was yeah yeah I think so too I mean he it was it was also really weird uh or got the ball and I remember looking at a, I went to the game with my mom and I remember looking at my mom and being like it is really weird not seeing Marcus Mariota come out for this snap mm-hmm uh, and like once Vernon Adams Vernon Adams moved around really well in the pocket that's one thing that really stood out to me mm-hmm. other thing that stood out to me he carries the ball like a loaf of bread like Masoli at his worst <laughs> like I remember seeing him jump around like on the first drive like trying to get open like you're moving around great yeah but you are just holding the ball out there, which is, like, pretty much Reardon's ugly head when he was, like, running with the ball just out and about, and he got poked free for a fumble. Right. So, but for the most part, like, he underthrew Tony Brooks James on a wheel route. He had, like, one near interception, near interception which should have been an interception, so I'm basically counting it as two turnovers on the game. Mm-hmm. Um... But, you know, it's really tough to, like, judge good quarterback play uh, or great quarterback play from Mariota quarterback play. Yeah. It's, it's really hard so to get, like, a spoiled. good concept. Yeah. We've been so spoiled the past few years that, like, unfortunately everything that Vernon Adams does this year is going to compare directly to what Marcus Mariota did, which is it, – it's not really fair, but oh, it's yeah. just the way it's going to be. Um, just think we get to be we uh, as a Duck fan base we don't have to think about who the next Dennis Dixon is <laughs> oh god I think though that we can finally not be like who's the next Marcus Mariota because that sounds ridiculous yeah so hopefully we're past that part I'm I'm just trying to wrap my head around the concept of like Marcus Mariota this is kind of a side note but we're all about we're all about random tangents here on slinging quack <laughs> it would be weird if we I, didn't i i can't get over the fact that marcus mariota has been off campus for less than a year and he's already having a building named after him that was hilarious donated by little, phil and penny knight it's a little ridiculous it's like so people were like they're like oh should he get a statue no forget the statue he'll have a whole freaking building named after him yeah I remember like two weeks after Tim Tebow gave his speech that was like, I promise there will never be another team that works as hard as we do. And like oh two weeks God. after that, it, they put oh it up God. on a plaque. And it's just like, yeah. really? We have to do everything so fast now? Like there's so much yeah. like forced, uh, there's like so much forced like history. You know what I mean? I think like, what it is too is that the fact that, you know, I'm only 24, and I should never say I feel old at age 24. But when you name a building after a quarterback that mm-hmm. I watched with in the past three years, I'm like, I'm like, I feel old now. Because you're having former quarterbacks like 
having buildings named after him. I, just, <laughs> I feel like it's like so dating and yeah. Yeah, especially when they're younger than me, and it's like, God, I am just a yeah, exactly. waste of life. Yeah, he's younger than you, and he's he's making millions in the NFL. What are you doing with your life? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I, I get those constant reminders from pretty much any athletes these days that are, like, superstar rookies. Yeah. It's it's tough. It's really tough being a white man in today's society. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, um, Vernon Adams gets an A minus because of the two turnovers. Mm. Uh, running backs, holy shit, are they good? Oh my god, Royce Freeman, A plus, Benoit, A plus, Brooke James, A minus. Sorry, Brooke James. It's gonna be so beautiful. Um, Benoit was unreal. He was unreal. So here, here's the. Here's the box score from the running backs. Royce Freeman, 21 carries, 180 yards, three touchdowns. It was a career night for him. So he's he is now one-seventh of the way to setting the Oregon school touchdown rushing record in a yeah. single season. So that's a good start. Uh, Vernon Adams carried the ball 14 times for 94 yards. Which was way too many times, in my opinion. Yeah. My my friend sent me a text that is very said very true and he says, I think Vernon's gonna die this year. Mm-hmm. And he I made mean, very, as long as people keep hating him, he's gonna die. Yeah. He made a very valid point. He said he's a Vernon Adams is gonna keep running fifteen times a game. He's gonna get the living daylights knocked out of him and uh-huh. we're gonna have to see Jeff Lockie for a game or two. Which I don't think is terrible, but yeah. No, but it's just going to happen. I mean, yeah, your quarterback runs that many times in the game, he's going to get lit up. Yeah, and it doesn't um, run, like, intelligently. Right. So, okay, what was Benoit? Benoit, 11 carries, 83 yards, and a touchdown. He only had 83 yards? I feel like he made a bigger impact than that, but that's a... Quietly solid day. Man, he made plays then. Mm-hmm. What was his at? What was his average? Seven and a half yards a carry. Yeah, that's ridiculous. He needs to touch the ball more. Mm-hmm. He looked so so good. Like he, I think he made the biggest change between last year and this year, and then Dwayne Stanford is second. Yeah. Dwayne Stanford was Oregon's leading receiver on the day. Three catches, ninety yards. See, this is what I like, too, about, like, Adams has the weapons to spread it around through the air. So, Byron Marshall had the most catches of the day with four. <laughs> so, Stanford, three catches, Marshall, four, Addison, three, Benoit, one, Freeman, two, Munt, two, Bayless, two, Brooks James, two. Like, nobody has, like a huge day through the air just because Adams is just spreading it around so much. And that's, I, I think that's a very effective way to go about it because they don't have like the superstar receiver like Eastern Washington has with Cooper cup of like, you, you point at him. That's the guy we've got to stop. You know, like all of these guys for Oregon are talented, 
and none of them are really like superstars though. Like Royce Freeman, he's a superstar. That that's where uh, Oregon's going to be a bigger threat on the ground this year than through the air. But Certainly. I think that's a good. I think that's a good thing because it's just like Vernon Adams can kind of just do his thing and have like like look at this. It's not even a full game, but nineteen. Adams was 19 for 25, 246 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. QBR of 65.6. I'll take it. That's that that works just fine. Yeah, and I mean, we've discussed this before on how offenses need at least like one stud. At best it's two. And I think as the season goes on, Stanford is going to be our star receiver. Like, he has all the tools. Like, he was targeted, like, in a lot of the big-time opportunities. I think Marshall is going to be second. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Addison will be third. Even though he's not projected to start. But I think he's going to be... I think Dwayne Stanford, though, is going to be... As as the year goes on, I think Stanford and Marshall are really going to separate themselves. Right. Yeah, they're going to be the main the main targets for sure. Yeah, I just think I just think those two are, even though all the wide receivers are amazing at a level I never thought we'd see, but I think Stanford and Marshall stand out to me the most still. Mm-hmm. So I just think they're above the rest so I, I'm i I'm real excited for Stanford ever since he had that catch against Washington that yeah. nobody has any business making and then just like he's so tall but now he's so fast like he hit the deep ball he can like out jump people he's like a cleaner route runner um he's he's gonna be legit so, and Byron Marshall was the leading receiver last year, and now he can even climb the ladder like we saw in his touchdown catch. Mm-hmm. So, I think the receiver's got like an A as on, as a whole offensive line, A. I mean, the only real weakness was like a couple of linebackers. DeForest Buckner just went absolute ham. Like, Which he was... what we're going to expect all year long. He was, he was so dominant, just like beating through uh, double teams. He was just so dominant. And there was... uh, And as much as uh, uh, Pelham didn't blitz, like, even with three guys, there was some pressure. With four guys, the quarterback was not comfortable. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, last year... Like, it's an improvement on last year when we rushed three to four and the quarterback was just like just could sit back and knew that nothing was going to happen. Yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely room for improvement. It's like all in pass coverage, but that's definitely not as much of a DB thing as it is a back eight thing. So, right. And I mean that, you know, your first, your first game, that's, that's why you schedule these games. It's, it's so you can get, you can work out the kinks. Um, and I remember, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's what you do in college football. You, you know, you schedule the, the FCS opponents so you can, it's like a, it's like a soft opening for your season. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
and it's it basically it's like a dress rehearsal and you know every everyone wins eastern washington gets paid the big bucks and and we get the win and everyone moves on happy uh-huh um so I, I want to talk briefly about the the Vernon Adams hit, just because. Oh man, I got turned during that. That seemed to be um, kind of the the biggest takeaway from the game um, was the late hit. So, the guy who did it, he's been he's been suspended for the late hit and for the taunting of the crowd after. By the team? By the team. For how long? One game. On top of the game he's going to miss because of the ejection? Is it a full or a half game? It's a full because it happened in the second half. Okay. So I think that is that has to be... On top I'm of gonna it. I'm going to guess that it's on top of it. So I'm guessing he suspended two games. Okay. Um, man, you want to hear... You want to hear a a comment that'll get you livid? Oh, so okay. Here tweeted, we go. We tweeted out that he was suspended for a game for the late hit on Vernon Adams. Uh, someone someone did a quote tweet and said, "Not enough, in my opinion." And I think I think that's a fair opinion to have. I think you can it's reasonably say could, that. Yeah, a guy comes in says he should have been. He on Twitter. Being, yeah. Okay. He being the uh, John Kreifels, the Eastern Washington player who did this. 44. Should have been a team captain this weekend. He did what needed to be done. Hot takes. Hot takes. The hottest know. of takes. It burns with the heat of a thousand suns. <laughs> oh, my God. That is such a hot take. Oh, man. Who I was this that. guy? Do we know? Uh, Mr. Reed Strong with uh, oh perfect his his Twitter bio is annoyer of all oh I wonder if he's a professional troll or something I love that that's a thing now too yeah I mean his whopping 235 followers that's more than I have so I so like here's the thing too um we, we even texted a little bit about this Saturday night, but there there's a difference between like giving a little extra like on a like on a hit or attack or something and then just intentionally hurting someone in a way that we now will affect their long term health. Like right. like there was a situation where uh, the Wisconsin safety uh got a concussion trying to tackle Derrick Henry and he mm-hmm. went and like he he like hugged an Alabama player and then went and stood like in the Alabama backfield and like lined up and stuff yeah. and like not even like about 10 years ago that would have been like <laughs> look at this guy it's so funny he's just like standing in the backfield he got his bell rung and now it's absolutely terrifying right yeah like people were like people were talking about that on on Twitter and on SB Nation, and people are like, "This is downright scary." Yeah, because like when you, as a football player, get rocked so hard that you literally don't know where you are on the field anymore. Uh huh. 
like you probably a you need to be taken out of the game to the locker room and you yeah. probably need to be taken to a hospital at that point yeah um, and yeah and so that's like that's kind of what we saw with Vernon Adams like although there's also the side too where you do something really dumb and you're and then afterwards like oh wow that was like really dumb I can't believe yeah. I did that but then this guy was like so proud of it and I was like really impressed by their coach just like tracking the guy down and like yelling at him for about yeah. a good two minutes. And you could visibly see that he, when their coach went up to Helfrich at the end of the night, you could visibly see that he was like making an apology for that play. And Helfrich kind of just, you know, shrugged it off and kind of it is what it is. And um, it, it was it was good to see that because you could definitely just tell by the body language that that's what they were talking about. Um, so it was good to see like him apologize for it right off the bat. See, here's the thing like that I initially thought at first when I saw the hit, it's like, okay, there was the cheap shot that everyone saw coming, right? You, you knew they were getting one in. My initial thoughts, and keep in mind, this was all before the taunting occurred on the sidelines uh-huh. is football is a game that happens so fast of, you know, if, if you're playing devil's advocate for Eastern Washington, in this case, you could say it's a fast game. It's a fast play. He saw the quarterback. He was trying to make a hit. He was trying to make a play. You know, you could make that case that it's unintentional, but that goes all out the window when, you're visibly like taunting the fans after the play. Yeah. Like there was a time and a place up before the taunting where I was like, I was like, okay, maybe people are overreacting. Like if it was anybody else, I don't, are we going to make a big deal about it? But as soon as he started taunting, I was just like, Oh, that, that got real ugly real quick. Yeah. And, and you got you yeah. kind of got to see the the ugly side of Twitter after the game because <laughs> I you know I remember I, I posted something about how um, you know I said like if if John Kreifel's like luckily nobody in Eugene knows what he looks like otherwise he might need a police escort out of the game not a joke and not a joke he not would actually he would probably need a police escort to get out of Eugene safely. And then you just... Someone posted a picture. Someone, you know, someone thinks that they're being the witty detective and goes onto the Eastern Washington roster and grabs his headshot and says, here's the guy and, you know, go find him, yada, yada. It's like... I I love Twitter. (laughs) You know, this this might be a good time to... uh, Oh, yeah, final note. I am frankly blown away that he wasn't diagnosed with a concussion. Yeah. That was, was astounding to me. He was visibly he could not stand straight after the hit. Like the trainers came up to him and he was straight up wobbling. Yeah, and I mean it might be uh I'm a huge fight fan, so which makes me like pretty aware of like the effects of concussions and getting hit in the head and stuff um and i've seen it before where 
someone is what's called it's called like a stun punch where you basically like don't really see it coming where the guy doesn't see it coming and you can tell it doesn't have enough like power to actually do anything but they're mm-hmm. caught so off guard that it kind of messes with everything um it has kind of the same effect and i guess that's what it could have been was like a stun um but yeah it was it was typically like textbook serious concussion um yeah and people like you know adams was talking to the media after the game and he's like no i feel great i'm fine i'll be good to go said every concussed person ever right and here was the reason that i fully believed him because he was concussed when he came out on the field and he's smiling, giving the thumbs up, yada yada, anyone anyone could do that. But it was the fact that I maybe it's just because I want to believe this, but I, I, want I truly to believe. believe that the athletic department would not let a concussed play like if they knew he was concussed, and they said, "Oh yeah, go talk to the media." Like that would just be so irresponsible in my mind that like I. I just wouldn't believe that they would let that happen. Yeah. And, I mean, this is obviously one of those things where if it was another program, I'd be like, eh, I'm not so sure. But, of mm-hmm. course, it's the Ducks and I'm a homer. So it's kind of like, I really don't think our program would really do that. Right. It seems like very counter to, like... Like, you can make the whole joke. It's like, oh, we don't talk about injuries. But, I mean, you're not going to let a a freshly concussed player who just took a licking, if he truly is concussed, you're not going to let him go and sit at a podium and answer questions from the media. Correct. Yeah. And here's here's another thing, too. Not that, like... Because I I took uh, one... There was, like, a concussion experience I had when I was playing a sport in college... And it was very similar as to how, like, I was hit and it was, like, a huge daze for a little while. And, like, nothing – and I, like, didn't do anything for, like, three seconds. Then I got up and kind of, like, wobbled Mm -hmm. around. And it – to anyone else, I looked, like, totally normal. And even to myself, I felt, like, totally normal until, like, I got around, like, loud noises or bright – or, like, super bright lights or anything. Or, like, Mm -hmm. even oranges. Like, I hate oranges now. Um and I th- like if I had to go back into Autzen Stadium after having a concussion that sounds like a nightmare yeah like I don't think I could have handled that and so for him to come back in like you would have really had to grind your like white knuckle your way through that if you were like gonna put on an act that you weren't concussed and be in Autzen Stadium right because that is the most, uh, that is the least friendly place for a concussion ever is Autzen Stadium because it's got bright lights, loud noises. That's a nightmare. Autzen Stadium, nightmares of the concussed and hungover. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, in, in all reality, uh, I hope for an Anaheim place, but I hope that he's able to play before he plays right so also would, in practice if he's concussed and he's trying to run tempo it's gonna show real quickly 
Gotta go on Rob, Rob Mosley for those hot takes. Yeah, because if he has a concussion and his thinking is slowed down, there's no way he's going to get through practices that runs at a tempo. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And Eastern Washington, after this week, uh, Eastern Washington, I think you could clearly say, it would be, at worst, the number four team in the North. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was bad. First off... Uh, well, I mean, the whole Pac-12 just looked pretty bad. It was um, just a tire fire. Yeah, Utah beat Michigan by seven, although that score is closer than it actually was. Arizona struggled against UT San Antonio. Colorado lost to Hawaii in what was one of the ugliest games I've ever seen, and I was up till 2.30 watching it because I have nothing else to do. Uh, well, college football is my girlfriend, so I was hanging out with her, I guess. Um, then Oregon State beat Weber, Weber State. Huge plus for them. South Collins looked solid. And that was like the first FCS game in a while where like five minutes in, it was like, I'm not worried about this. Oregon State's yeah. going to win. Uh, Washington, after a special teams punt return for a touchdown, kept it competitive with Boise State, although that score is... A little closer than the game actually was. Stanford looked anemic against Northwestern. They only had six points. Um, and it's weird, right? Uh, Stanford, Stanford's defense was awful. Mm-hmm. They only gave up 16 points, but they were awful. Uh, Stanford's offense, which had all the guys coming back, also looked awful. Like, they couldn't get a running game going. Granted, Northwestern took, like, amazing... They... They took so many good angles, and they tackled so well in space. But I remember seeing the stat, too, where, like, I did, I don't know if you heard this, but in the bowl game last year, Kevin Hogan had a lot of tough decisions to make about whether to go pro or not. Oh, of course. He had a lot of tough decisions to make. The announcer said that, like, eight times. Anyone who was watching that year knew that wasn't true, because Kevin Hogan... You can see, like, the NFL talent, uh, even if you look past the stereotypical uh, tall, white, pocket passer stereotype. But it's really telling when there's the statistic of when Kevin Hogan throws more than 15 times in a game that their win percentage plummets. Like, how do you have an NFL quarterback where when he throws more, you do worse? Yeah. How does that make sense? As an Oregon fan and a lover of high-flying offenses, reading this Stanford box score for their offense from this game is just, I cringe. Yeah. Um, Washington State lost to Portland State. Cooped it. Coog Center has just been the saddest place the last the last week, the last few days. Like their breaking news on Saturday was there is no bottom. There is, uh... and then uh, there's there was another one where uh, like the other day it was like uh, things are really bad, and it did this whole article on how like uh, it seems like Washington State is the only school that really whiffed during the arms race after the Pac-12 TV contract. Yeah. Um, Especially since Portland State was the second biggest upset in the last 15 years, according to point spreads. Oh, my. 
I'm just not good. Um, I I would like to take this. I, I, I've shared this story before. Okay. But since we're talking about Coogan, I'd like to share the uh, the college football drunk spend drunk spectrum. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, every yeah, day yeah, should yeah. be Saturday. If you yeah. haven't heard this, this this describes. If I was if I was a Wazoo fan, this would just be my cover photo forever. It's just a screenshot of this paragraph. It says, there's this story about Swedes, a woman from Stockholm told us. These are Swedes. Everything is fine and everything is good. And then one day, Uncle Ollie runs drunk and screaming into the woods in the dead of winter after burning his house down. And then he comes back a week later and everything is fine. This is Wazoo football every Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Man, I kind of feel bad for them because they're actually a great fan base. Yeah. They're so nice. Why, why, does this, why can't this happen to Washington? I, I, I don't have any bad feelings towards Washington State. Like... Heck, I seriously consider going there for school. Like, I kind of oh, have God. a soft spot for him. Oh, they're just like, they're like the little brother that can never hurt you, you know? <laughs> Except they almost did last year, but... Yeah, except for that one time where we needed a questionable uh, non-pass interference call. Oh, man. Or the lack of a pass interference call. Closest win of the year last yeah, year. Yeah, do or math this. You will always be remembered for that one play the only good thing you did last year yeah um ucla, UCLA. over virginia didn't spread damn you bruins uh didn't cover the spread but josh rosen uh after overreaction monday uh it looks like he is a heisman front runner and ucla is uh going to be unstoppable this year I mean, that was the whole point, is that they the, the only position they were missing was quarterback. And Brett Hundley made, as great as he was at times, he was inconsistent within games, and he made a lot of poor choices at times. Like, yeah. the, the line got a lot of crap for giving up sacks, but he was easy. He was really easy to sack based on, like, how he would back way too far out. He'd make way too many moves in the pocket. And he just held on to the ball way too long. Yeah. Rosen went 28 for 35, 351 yards, three touchdowns, and a QBR of 90.8. Yeah. And, I mean, that's what – I mean, a good quarterback at UCLA is going to put that up. Mm-hmm. Because they have so many good guys around them. So that's going to be – see? See? That's my pick to win the, the, the Pac-12 South. Do you want to go to your pick to win the Pac-12 South? Um, we're going to have to. We can't, we can't avoid it. <laughs> nope. See, I, I was the, uh, you know, I was the guy who's going with everyone else of, oh, Arizona State, this could finally be the year that they, you know, they break through. And what do they do? They they, they shit the bed against Texas A and M. And in 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 order to stay with my uh, phrase of get off the fence, I think this win said more about Texas A and M than it did Arizona State. Mm-hmm. I think 
like coming into this year, like Texas A and M had so much talent coming back. Like uh, they just have had the so many awesome recruits coming in. And before this game, uh, before the season started, someone said this was like the first time where he didn't feel like they're like he had to put out players who he felt shouldn't even be starting. Um, and then it's easy when you have uh, like Miles Garrett on your line, who is already surpassing Jadavian Clowney mm-hmm. um, when he was a sophomore. And then they have the new, uh, they have the coordinator from defensive coordinator from LSU, and so I think this team is like locked and ready to go. Yeah. So I mean, Arizona State, like, I think this is just about Texas A&M more than it is about Arizona State. Although Arizona State last year, like their three or two or three losses last year were because they lost. They did not like the their opponent did not need to do. Their opponent won and looked good, but their opponent didn't even need to do that much to win because Arizona State played that poorly. Right. So this could be one of those outlier games, but I think Texas A&M is just that good. So. Do you want to go to USC? Yeah, it goes. Yeah. And then USC beat Arkansas State 55-6. They did what USC should do against Arkansas State, so that's pretty much all you can ask for. Trey Madden was unbelievable running the ball. Um, Cody Kessler played solid. Um, let me look at their stats real quick. Uh, passing. Oh, go ahead. 19 for 26, 236 yards, four touchdowns for Kessler. Madden, 12 carries, 106 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, 8.8 yards per carry. And then Rollins runs the second average, 14.3 yards a carry. Oh, the one knock on USC. Their offensive line was supposed to be the, one of the strengths. They gave up five sacks. Questionable. Um, so, I mean, at this point, yeah, Eastern Washington, probably number four, uh, just behind Cal, who is, mm-hmm. looks terrifying now, although they did play Grambling State, who is more well-known for their band, um, which is why Grambling State versus Florida A&M later in the season is one of my favorite games to watch. Uh, not because of the actual football. Um, so now we go to, uh, we're traveling to East Lansing this, this, this Saturday. It's kind of a big game, isn't it? Yeah. And it is, first off, East Lansing is the worst city in America. (laughs) I went a few years ago for a, uh, we had a couple games there, but this was a few years ago and we were playing a couple teams, including Michigan State. And when we were staying in East Lansing, that was maybe the saddest, most depressing, bland, boring, barren wasteland I've ever seen. Like, it was, it looked so boring. Like, no wonder that, that like, people there drink so much. Like, honestly, it's, it's, I can't imagine going to school there for, like, four years let alone being there for like more than a week. If you Google pictures of East Lansing, one of the first things that comes up is just a picture of the local Marriott. Yeah. That, that, can't, that can't be good. 
So, surprise, we got press passes and we're sending you because I know how much you love this town. <laughs> Guys, we're not actually going to have a game recap this week. It's just going to be Rusty ragging on you. <laughs> just from the press box, like, God, I hate everything here. <laughs> no, really, I have nothing nice to say about East Lansing, though. Oh, man. Um, but, yeah, big game. College game day is going to be there. Yeah. Second year in a row, they're doing Oregon, Michigan State. Oh, that's right. So, and here's another here's another one of those things where, you know, okay, let's say, let's say that all Oregon needs to do this year to get to the playoff is just outgun every team they play. We're wide open. Holy shit! All right, go ahead. So. And then, I mean, they had, you know, Michigan State, they opened up against Western Michigan. They had a, it, it was very similar in the the sense of the Oregon game where they had a solid first quarter, outscored 20-7, but then it was just, their offense kind of just sputtered. Yeah. Seven points, seven points, three points. Western Michigan won the fourth quarter. Hell yeah! Small moral, small moral victories. That's, um, but yeah, Connor Cook went fifteen for thirty-one, two hundred and fifty-six yards, two touchdowns. L.J. Scott and Madre London combined for twenty-six carries and roughly hundred and. 130 yards, 140 yards, and some change. I don't know. I didn't go to school for math. But <laughs> I went to school for football. I didn't come here to play school. <laughs> God, that's so funny. Uh, um, Aaron Burbridge had four catches for 117 yards. So he was just making big plays. Mm-hmm. Um had a couple picks on defense. I mean, I don't know. I, I just, I'm not that, I'm just kind of eh when I think about the Michigan State offense. And it's like, if that's what we're thinking about to like what it's going to take for a team to beat Oregon, where you just, they, they have to be able to outgun us. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if, Michigan State has it in them to to outgun us. Um. Yeah. I mean. I really. I. I agree with that. Also. Uh. Michigan State's like. Big caveat. Like the last few years has been their running game. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a hundred yard rusher. Like they the highest. Like their yards per carry was four point nine. That's not what you want from a team that is supposed to have the bread and butter of, of being a running football team. Also, right. Connor Cook threw less than 50%. Like, even last year's completion percentage was 58.1. Like, that isn't yeah. stellar. Um, and, like, looking even further at their skill position, guys, they lose their top two receivers. Like, their starter this year... Uh, like, their lone returning starter is Aaron Burbridge, who only had 29 receptions last year. 
So it's it, not the same issue that we have with that we had with uh, Eastern Washington, where they just have a like one stud receiver who just like kills us. And this this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier: is that if you know a, a team that's going to beat Oregon is going to have to do it through the air, like Ohio State, exploit, right? Kind of exploit the secondary and. Yeah, I mean, you said, what, they lost their top two receivers? Yeah, they lost uh, Tony Lippett, who killed us last year, Mm -hmm. uh, and then Keith Humphrey. Yeah, Um, I'm going to, I'm just going to go out and say, I'm going to say Oregon, I'm going to say Oregon wins this game by 13 points. Yeah, um... Early, earlier in the year, I was I was leaning towards Michigan State winning this game, but after kind of coming to the conclusion that teams are just going to have to outgun us to beat us this year, I don't think Michigan State can outgun us. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think they have the, I don't think they have the receivers or or the quarterback, um, hot takes, to really take advantage of the secondary. Um, I think if they become one-dimensional passing, which they will, because out uh, even though our pass protection genuinely sucked, our run defense was exceptional. Exactly. Like, Eastern Washington totally abandoned the run. Like, ran, like, very few plays, running plays in the second half. Right. They just uh, avoided it completely. Um, and I really think that, like, the front seven, I think, um, because they have a new starting running back, Aaron Burbridge is their only returning receiver, and he only had 29 receptions last year. Mm -hmm. Um, they have four guys back on the offensive line, which is, like, their big, their big go-to. But then, like, they're, like, one of the cornerstones of their team has been, um, their defensive coordinator who like brought them to these amazing heights but now he's left so I mean it's they don't have the talent that they did last year on defense and it's not like their defense stopped Oregon you know right exactly and the media the media the corporations the media has been like oh uh like uh Michigan State had a lead at first, and then they blew it. It's like, well, they maybe played 20 good minutes of football. Right. They maybe they played 20 good minutes of football. just became a train wreck after that. And then they fell apart, and then they got oregon So that's like saying, that's like looking back at this Ohio State game that happened in a year and be like, you know, Virginia Tech kept it close through a half. It's like totally misses the point of what happened yeah. in that game. You, you're right. You're factually correct. But you, you're you're just being a dick about it. Like you're wrong. Yeah. Um. So. Oh, and then there's also the one where they ask like Connor Cook, "How's it feel to watch Ohio State win when they play? Uh, when Michigan State kept it close with Ohio State, and then they kept uh had a lead on Oregon at one point. Um, and it's like, well, I wonder if if you could ask all the all the 
all the quarterbacks of the teams who lost to a national championship. It's like, how does it feel to watch a team that you lost to win the national championship? So, I mean, it reminded me of, like, uh, The U Part 2, where they talked to all the Miami teams that didn't win the national championship. Mm-hmm. And they were like, we're the best team that never won a national championship. If it wasn't for this, we would have won the national championship. Like, do you guys hear yourselves? Like, this is what every losing team says. You try and justify it to yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I think that Oregon's... Oregon's going to outscore Michigan State. I just don't think that Michigan State has the firepower to keep up. Yeah, that's... That's the bottom line of it. I don't think they have the firepower to keep up. Right. If they had the firepower to keep up, like if they still had Tony Lippett, I think we could have, like... We'd have a problem. We'd have a problem. We'd have a problem. I think it would go down to the wire, and I would just... I might just give it to Michigan State just based on how we just got annihilated by Cooper Cup. Mm -hmm. But since... Yeah. And Cooper Cup is, like, tall. Their tallest receiver on their depth chart is, like, 6'2". Yeah. And that's one guy. Like, this is not an athletically freakish team. Like, they're built on the run. Which we know, at least from week one, that that's not a problem with Oregon's defense. I don't think that's going to be a problem all year, though. Like, I think USC and UCLA could have the problem of torching us. Um, Hopefully that defensive back situation gets figured out. But I really don't think Michigan State's going to be able to take advantage of those weaknesses. No, I'm not worried about it, really. Like, if you look at these teams side by side from each other, they're probably equal. But when you match them up, I think Oregon's just got the upper hand. So, I mean, like, I'm looking at Fuel Steel right now. It says, last year, UO jumped out uh, to an 11-0 lead, but Michigan State was up 27-18 with... uh, Doesn't seem right at all. I think he has this wrong. No, I'm Um, looking at the box score from last year. Oregon led 8-0 after one quarter. When was it 27-18? It was oh, 27-18 into the second half. Third quarter, yeah. Because Michigan State, basically Michigan State had like one good quarter when they dropped 24 on us in the second quarter. And that was pretty much it. Yeah. Apparently this is a huge moral victory. I mean, it's like, huge fight fan. It's like when people say like someone gave Floyd Mayweather a run for his money when they won three rounds. Yeah. It's like, that's only news because it's Floyd Mayweather. Like, he, there was like two years where he lost three rounds total. And, like, to, to say you win, like, one quarter over Oregon, like, what nice are we talking moral, about? What are we talking victory. about at this point? Yeah. Moral what victory we, that you we, can, uh... What are we talking about? Like, if, if Oregon loses to Michigan State doing like a little knock on wood anything that I've ever seen like Catholics do during football games or whatever um like if they lose and it's on like a last second field goal I'm not gonna be like 
well, Oregon was winning for 58 minutes. No, that's right. not how it works. You win or you lose. There's there's no... <laughs> there's no in-between. This is a zero-sum game. Yeah. And it's like, if you, if you're going to take, like, one quarter and then build it up as this thing that you're going to, like, mount to come back on, like, I guess, I guess you can do that going into it, but mm-hmm. come on, man. I, and I get why ESPN has to, like, force that down everybody so that people will tune in and stuff. So, I mean, people are going to tune in anyways. I don't know why they're selling this so hard. So Yeah. It'll be fun. We've got, um, we've got a lot of stuff coming up this week on Michigan State. Tomorrow we've got a, um, Q&A, a little Q&A session, or, uh, our newest, one of our newest writers, Joel Gunderson, he sat down with uh, the Michigan State blog, which I believe is called The Only Colors. They do great work. Um, yeah, check them out this week. It'll be fun leading up to it. I'll be taking a look at the Michigan State offense. Uh, I believe Brandon's got the defensive preview. Uh, game weeks are fun, and this will be... We've got a lot of good stuff coming this week to get you guys psyched up for it. Yeah, because the games this week are not great yeah. in general around the country. Like Utah State at Utah. South Florida at Florida State's going to be interesting just because of, I'm waiting for Florida State to just break down. Um, Oregon State. Oh, this was a great question I heard on college uh, on a college football podcast. Um, what? Which game between an Oregon and Michigan team will make more news at the end of the week. Oregon State at Michigan or Oregon at Michigan State? Which one will make more news? Which one will garner more attention? Uh, well, are we, like, are we saying at the end of the day, like when it's all said and done? Yep. Um, well, what, what I will be the bigger see, story? What... What I want to see, um, I mean, I think I think Oregon and Michigan State will be the bigger story just because I think it'll be a slightly more competitive game. But okay. what I want to see is I want to see Oregon State go into the big house and beat Michigan and just have everyone shit on Jim Harbaugh. Well, I like, think if Oregon State wins... I think no matter what Oregon does to Michigan State, no matter what the result of the Michigan State-Oregon game is, the Oregon State game, the Oregon State win, will trounce everything in the media that week. Oh, of course. So that's only if they win. But, I mean, when Oregon wins, that'll obviously be the bigger story. Yeah. I'm Normally, I like... Normally, I really like to see... People are all about, you know, conference pride, conference strength. Mm-hmm. I I like to see Oregon State and Washington suffer, but I really want to see Oregon State go into the big house uh-huh. and just beat him just because of, like, all the hype that Harbaugh hasn't deserved. Like, people were basically acting before the season like he had already saved the program and turned him into a winner without doing anything. Yeah. And so for him to start 0-2... I, I don't think that's his fault, though. Yeah. I, I mean, we've talked about this before, but I don't I don't think that's his fault. 
So, but I think that's a totally legitimate take to have because it's more about the fan bases than it is the actual people, really. Exactly. Um, Washington State at Rutgers. If Washington State wins that game, I'm going to laugh really hard. Uh, Ohio State, 40-plus point favorite over Hawaii. I watched Hawaii play last week. That is not high enough. Uh, Notre Dame at Virginia. Notre Dame looks like a death machine uh, with Malik Zaire. Uh, Ohio yeah, State also yeah. looks more dominant than Sherman's March to the Sea at the end of the Civil War. That's um, it. Hell of an analogy. Yeah, it's uh, it's they're gonna ruin everybody. Yeah, for what it's worth, uh, Notre Dame just jumped in and took Oregon's spot in the SB Nation playoff predictions. So, I think that's after week after overreaction week one. I think that's fair. Yes. Um, Oklahoma at Tennessee, really the only other good game that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, number nineteen at number twenty three. Man, this is sad. This is a sad weekend. Why can't these games be spread out a little bit more? Like, why is Oregon-Michigan so late? The same time that Mayweather is fighting. This is such a... God, it's going to be rough. Conflicts. Um, yeah, and then LSU at Mississippi State at 615. And then UCF at Stanford. Just how far can this team fall? God. Um, and then Boise there State at BYU no at 715. So, no, it's gonna be rough. But college football's back. This novelty. If this if this crap was getting pulled on week eight, I would be pissed. But it's week two, so I'll watch all of it. No questions asked. So I will allow it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So any closing comments? We've gone about eighty minutes. Closing comments. Um, I'm feeling better about going into this game than I did a week ago. Um, I think things are going to be just fine and dandy, and I'm I'm excited for it. I'm excited for a big game before we have to sit through Oregon and Georgia State next weekend. Uh huh. So, all right, I'm psyched. I feel so much better about this game after watching. Uh, and I mean, I was going to give. I saw the scores come in for Michigan State, Western Michigan, and I was like, okay, I'm going to give them a pass. They're probably looking past. Uh, past them so I mean I was I had these opinions already I was cutting them a break so um I feel so much better about this game now than I did a few weeks ago although that could just be me uh rationalizing everything so who knows who knows who knows we'll all find out on Saturday night alright week one in the books week two coming up big game Oregon at Michigan State uh if you liked any of our hot takes, let us know. See you guys after a hopefully big win for the Ducks.